0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Places are important. Places are are places of memory. Places are places we go, and when we think about, we have feelings that are associated with them. And we want to go places. When kids graduate or move on from one grade level to another, a book that often gets shared is this book by Dr. Seuss called Oh, the Places You'll Go. My son Asher, when he completed preschool over here in open arms, received this book as many kids did when they finished kindergarten. So let me read to you a little bit, not the whole book, but a little bit from Dr. Seuss. Uh, oh, the Places You'll Go is, is a book of, of optimism. Dr. Seuss writes, You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction, direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know. And you are the guy... You'll decide where to go. But Dr. Seuss is also a realist. He knows that life isn't always filled with sunshine and rainbows. And he says this, I'm sorry to say say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up, in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on, you'll be left in a lurch. This is true. Ever been left in a lurch before? <clears throat> oh, Johnny, I see your hand. Yeah. But as he comes to the end of his book, he says this. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. Ninety-eight and three-quarters percent Guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. This is his book about the places we'll go. We're going places when we follow Jesus. This Lent. We're taking some time, as, as we're, we're taking this whole year to go through the book of Matthew, a series that I've called Follow Me, and specifically during the season of Lent, we're working to prepare ourselves for Holy Week or, or Passion Week, for that final week of our Lord's life and ministry here on earth before his death and resurrection. And so as we prepare ourselves, we're going to, Places. The places of the Passion. Places that our Lord Jesus went to that final week, that Passion week. And we follow him there. Last week, we went to Jerusalem, the city in which Jesus was crucified. Now we're starting to zoom in on specific areas towns close to Jerusalem, and today, in particular, we're going to be f- looking at the place of the temple, or the Temple Mount. And so let's talk about the, the temple a little bit. The temple had been around for a thousand years, give or take. It was destroyed once and rebuilt by the time of Jesus, so this is referred to as kind of the skint temple period. And so the temple has since been destroyed, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but so this is a uh, artist rendition, uh, you know, uh, and then I'll show a model in just a second. But you can see here, here is here's the temple, and then this whole area around the temple is what's referred to as the temple mount. That is still there it's in place Uh, it's big it's not going anywhere it's been there for a couple thousand years and there's one stone within the temple mount actually up on this side of the temple mount so this is south north east west right so the west side the wailing wall western wall there's a stone that's so big that it weighs as much as a fully loaded 747 it's huge they moved it somehow, right? Massive. The temple is, this Temple Mount complex is, is ginormous. It is 35 acres. So if that doesn't mean anything to you, and I'm assuming that from our first Kings readings, no one knows what a cubit is exactly, so, so I'm trying to bring this to you know, so our, our common uh, understanding of measurements today. 35 acres, to, to go around this perimeter of the Temple Mount, is, that's about a mile. So for me, I know that when I go for a walk on my street, Vale Circle over in Summit Cove, that it's just under a mile if I go from my house around the street and back to my house. So it, it's, a, it's a huge area. Uh, another measurement, maybe to help you visualize this, is that its length from this end to this end is five football fields, 500 yards. So, big, right? And we can see that in this temple mound that there are huge structures Uh, at the north here. This is the Antonio Fortress. That's where the Romans would uh, overlook the temple and make sure everything was on the up and up there. On the south end here, uh, this is um, oh goodness, the the name is slipping me right now. But um, is a portico is, a, is that that uh, was used for lots of business. In fact, our text for today, when Jesus was clearing the temple, likely happened in this area. There are steps just outside of here. Those steps are still there today. Back in 2005, when I was in Jerusalem. When I visited the temple, I got to stand on those steps, on the same steps that Jesus stood on. <sighs> I'm getting tingles just thinking about it. It was awesome. Right? And those, temp- those steps led up, and you can't see it here, but in the shadows, the, the, they kind of come up into the, the main floor, this platform. And then all sorts of, of business was happening in, in the temple here. The temple it was big and, and, and it's hard to even understand in our world how significant the temple was to the culture. Like the, the San, Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, the judges of the day, they met over here in this building. Uh, th- th- this was not only a, a place where the judges would meet, where the Sanhedrin would meet, but also a place for intellectual gatherings. We know when Jesus was 12, he and his family went to Jerusalem, to the temple, and there was a point where J- uh, J- Joseph and Mary were heading back, and they realized, uh-oh, Jesus isn't with us. So they, they, they go back to Jerusalem, they look for him, and they find Jesus, and where was he? In the temple. And his response to them was, well, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house, his heavenly father, right? Uh, and and the, the other religious leaders at the time, when they heard Jesus teach as a 12-year old boy, were, were amazed. So there's, there's a political significance. There's intellectual significance. There's cultural significance. This was a place to be. Three times a year, people from all over Israel and all over the Roman Empire would make a pilgrimage. Where would they go? To Jerusalem, to the temple, take sacrifices there. So this is a place to be. And Holy Week is the Passover week. This is a time when lots of people from throughout the world are there at the temple. So we've got um, political, cultural, intellectual importance, it was economically important to the city of Jerusalem. I mean, think of it this way. When, when a city, when the mayor of a city is trying to convince taxpayers in that city that it would be a good investment for them to pay some taxes so that they can get a new stadium for a sports team, what's oftentimes cited as a reason? So that, because of the economic advantages, the economic um, uh, prosperity that it would bring to the region, having a sports team, having a new stadium. Same kind of thing was, was going on here. People coming from all around, people coming, buying sacrifices so that they could sacrifice them at the temple. And, of course, In the midst of all of this, the temple was a religious center of that community. As we get closer to the temple itself, uh, we can see, and of course, this is an artist's rendition, but we can see things like the altar here, where people would come and bring their sacrifices of of birds and, and bulls and lambs, and they would be burnt here on the altar. Uh, There's this basin which would hold, which is huge and would hold a ton ton of water for the ceremonial cleanings. Uh, Then you see these pillars, uh, pillars of I think it's uh, is it Jacon and Boaz that are in front are, are the names of those pillars in front of the the temple itself. Going inside the temple, it was glorious. It was beautiful. It was these its walls were lined with. Uh, with gold, and the windows were, were created in such a way that when the sun rose in the east, again, uh, we, we, are, we are facing west, so that's the east entrance of the temple, right? When the sun came in, rose in the east, it would shine gloriously inside of this temple. There were The lampstands and the lamps, there were angels, and it was beauty. And all of this, what's this point to? It points to God and his glory and his power and his grace. It's a place of worship. This portion of the temple was something that most priests of the day, maybe once or twice in their life, would get to go in here. And you can kind of see right back here the altar of incense that they where they would go and offer up prayers this is where Zechariah John the Baptist father would have been and then if you go beyond into this area there's there's this huge curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies the most holy place that's a 10 by 10 room a cube that holds the presence of God on earth during the period of the Old Testament. It's where only one day a year, the high priest of Israel, on one day a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Yom Kippur, would go in there and would take with him a basin of the the bull, the, the lamb... For the atonement of the people of Israel. He would go in there and they went in there with such reverence and 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 awe that they tied a rope along around his his ankle so that if he went in and died while he was in there, no one else had to go in. They could just pull him out. (laughs) Uh, So you could see like this whole thing, this whole structure was meant to point to God and to his grace. And to his Jesus, and to, and to ultimately, we would say to Jesus. So here, Holy Week, Monday of Holy Week, Jesus enters into the temple, probably through these steps, and he's in this area. And he sees what's happening in that, in that area. And one of the things that happened was that the, there was the selling. Of animals for sacrifice. Now you think about it, this wasn't in and of itself a bad thing as actually a good thing. People are coming from all around the the world. They probably don't want to be lugging their bull or their lamb or their birds all the way from Alexandria or all the way from Cyprus or wherever they're traveling from, right? So they would go, and they would go into these, the temple courts and there was a certain currency that that currency could only, that, that denomination could only be used in the temple. So people would go in and they would exchange their money, their currency that they had, their dollars, for the temple currency. And then from there, they would buy the animals for sacrifice. Now Jesus hung out in the temple a lot his last week on earth. And he saw this and he got mad. Now why was Jesus so upset at the animals being sold and and at the currency exchange? Not because they are in and of themselves bad, but because the people were operating in a corrupt manner. They are using unfair, unfair balances so that they could get a little bit more money when they did the exchange. They were jacking up prices because they knew it was tourist season and that they, they could charge <clears throat> $400 for a hotel because it's the Saturday of President's Day weekend. Right, <laughs> and, and Jesus saw this corruption and this gets him mad. Not only that, though, There's more going on here than just economic corruption. Because throughout his three years of ministry, Jesus has been been teaching, has been performing miracles and healings. And what he's been showing and predicting is his own passion, how he had to go to Jerusalem and, and die, and then three days later rise again. Some people came and were following Jesus, were disciples of Jesus. But there's others, not at all. They were resistant. In fact, they challenged, they tried to trick Jesus. They were trying to kill Jesus. People like the Sadducees. Sadducees, as I've mentioned before, uh, kind of like your East Coast liberals, right? They, they uh, didn't believe that the entire Old Testament scripture was inspired by God. The Sadducees didn't believe in things like a resurrection from the dead. So there's them. There, were, there were also Pharisees who had created so many laws that they're making these laws and telling people you have to do this, 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 this. This is how many steps you can take on a Sabbath day, and you can go here but not there. And all these laws... And they're creating these laws, but not doing them themselves. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. They're not believing in him, in, in Jesus. And, and all these people, Sadducees and Pharisees, those who are selling in the, the temple place, they're, all just, they're trying to maintain their place in life, trying to stay comfortable, trying to get ahead maybe. At the expense of others. And so what does Jesus do? Turns over tables. Drives out the the, the money exchangers. Clears the temple. Says, this is it. Enough here. My house, this house, is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of robbers. You see, there's all these peripheral things that are going on, but here's the big thing. Here's the heart of the matter. The people lost sight of God's grace. The people didn't hear or believe in Jesus. This was a pivotal time, uh, a, a pivotal time where there was a shift from the presence of God on earth, the dwelling place of God on earth, being in the temple, now to being in the person of Jesus Christ at his incarnation, we believe that Jesus, born of, of Mary, but conceived by the Spirit, was both man fully and God fully. And Jesus, through his three-year ministry, was over and over and over and over and over trying to tell people, look, guys, things are changing here. Follow me. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the temple, in that place, all of it was pointing to me was pointing to, my, to the grace that I have because I am God. And not only was he saying these things, but he's backing up his claims by doing things like mm, saying to the person who couldn't walk, get up. You are healed. So that when he said things like, your sins are forgiven, people would know that he was operating with authority, authority from God. Today, We gather in places. We're gathered in a place today. People are gathered in places. And it's so important that we remember the focus. We remember that everything in this place is meant to point us to Jesus. Some some churches some cathedrals ah oh, they're beautiful and you look at the the ornate basilicas i'm thinking of those especially in europe but even here in our own country i know the saint louis basilica in in, in st louis a catholic would walk in and it was just gorgeous how much was put into that place but if we go into those places and we see the altar and the candles and communion, we can say, oh, there's a cross. This looks like a church. However, there are places that look like a church, but then you start listening to what's being spoken. And it's not about the love of God. It's not about his grace and forgiveness. There's no mention of sin. Namely, there's no mention of Jesus. We can have the greatest buildings, but if there's not Jesus, it doesn't matter. On the flip side, we can go into places that are bible believing, and they teach from the, from the Bible, and they teach about how to be a good parent, and they talk about sexuality, and they talk about uh, uh, being faithful children, and being good in the workplace, and they talk about dealing with emotions or whatever, all kinds of good guiding principles that come from the Bible. But if they don't Talk about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, then they're missing the point. They're missing the fact that everything in here points to Him. When we get to a place where we're worshiping something other than Jesus, we think, Wow, look at this building! Look how beautiful. That's see that over there. That's my pew. I've been sitting there for thirty-five years. My butt print is <coughs> is, is is in that pew. Right? Uh, when we we start looking at buildings and and we start getting hung up on things like the carpet. Or, hey, did anyone notice? We're making some moves here at Christ Lutheran Church with our technology over the past few months. We've added some cameras and, and that sort of stuff so that there's those of you watching us on, online uh, and hearing the sermon online, uh, we were able this past weekend, Friday and Saturday, in the day before, two men from Peace Lutheran Church in Arvada came up and built a sound booth for us. And it's good, Oh, but we do not worship technology. We worship Jesus. And for the times that we have started to drift and place our heart, our hope, in something other than Christ, may we... Repent. Repent of our sins and return to following him. Jesus, the next day, after he cleared the temple, he was back in the temple teaching again. And as he was walking out on Tuesday, he says this, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. That word desolate, empty. You realize how significant those words are. God has left the building, is what Jesus is saying. He walks out, and he, as he's walking out, he's speaking with his disciples, and he predicts the destruction of the temple. The disciples say, look how beautiful all these buildings are. And he says, I tell you, there's going to come a day when all of this is destroyed. When I was in Israel in 05, on the west side of the Temple Mount, there's a huge pile of stones, rubble. That's from when, in 70 A.D., Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. When the Roman Empire was sick and tired of all of Jerusalem's issues and dealing with the Jews, and so they just came down, they laid the hammer down, and they destroyed the temple, tore it down, and pushed those stones over the edge. And the temple to this day has never been rebuilt. It was destroyed just like Jesus said. Now Jesus (laughs) Jesus, uh, uh, two days later after that, on Thursday, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, another place that we'll be going during the season of Lent. And he was there, and he was praying, and as he was praying, his accuser, Judas Iscariot, accompanied by, Rome, or by soldiers from the temple, came and they arrested him. And Jesus' words or that was this? It's like day by day, every day this past week, I was teaching in the temple openly. And you never came to me then. Hmm. But by the secrecy of night, you're doing it. Okay. I see what's going on here. They dragged Jesus to Caiaphas' house that evening. And... They're desperately, the Jewish leaders are desperately looking for charges against Jesus to convict him, to kill him, to murder him. And everything was just wonky, made up, nothing was sticking. Two men came forward and said, this man claimed that he would tear down the temple and build it back up in three days. Jesus didn't say that. But you know how it is. You say something, and then people put their spin on it to get what they want out of, out of it. And so that's it. That was enough for Caiaphas, the high priest. He tore his robes, right? And Jesus was led off to, to Pilate. Pilate reluctantly sends Jesus to the cross where the temple of his body was left desolate. As he dies upon the cross, the Spirit leaves, but he's dying for you, for me. He knows our sins, he knows how quickly we look other places. Everywhere except for the place that God has given us. And Jesus says, I I got this. I'm dying for you. I'm dying for the money changers who are corrupt. I'm dying for the Sadducees, those liberals. I'm dying for the Pharisees, those conservatives. I'm dying for the broken and the wounded and and for everyone so that you all can have grace and forgiveness. Just come follow me. Three days, three days later, Mary Magdalene and the other women went to the tomb that Jesus was buried in. When they get there, what's the angel's response to them? He's not in this place, he's not here. Just as he said, he is risen from the dead. And he's in Galilee. Go meet him there. Follow Jesus. Jesus calls us today through his word. Come on in. Come follow me. When we hear his word, it's a word that points us to Jesus. When we received his sacraments like we did just a moment ago, we know it points us back to Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, and to the life that he keeps on giving to us every day. The first Christians, the first followers of Jesus, they followed him. They followed him to all kinds of places. While the temple was still up, They worshiped in the temple. They would go there. Peter and John went there, and just like we heard in our text from today, just like Jesus did, they healed, in that case, a a lame man, in the case of Jesus the blind. Interestingly enough, some commentators have noticed how, and questioned whether those people would even be allowed in the temple because it was so holy, so set apart that they would be kept out, the, the blind, the lame. So the fact that when Jesus was there, those people were coming in, there's pretty significant undertones to what's, what's happening. Jesus, not a building, Jesus is the place of God is where we go when we're hurting and we today want to be in the house of God with Jesus whether that be in our case a brick and mortar church building like we have here or whether that be house churches it was 250 years after—it and uh, it wasn't until 250 years after the death of Jesus that Christians were even able to build churches. They worshiped in homes. So as we're looking, as I'm hoping that we are planting churches and sending missionaries to places like Kremling and Fairplay and Georgetown and Leadville— Part of that might just be that those places don't look like a brick and mortar structure, but look like people of God gathered around Jesus' word, gathered around Christ, gathered around their dining room table. That's a good place to be. (laughs) May we make sure, elders, Hold your pastor accountable that everything we do, everything we say, everything we think points us to Jesus. Because that's God's place. Amen.